This is a news roundy podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs round 3. My name is Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket say namaste. Hello world. We have a very special guest joining us on our podcast. We are thrilled. We are still a very budding and upcoming podcast so we are really thrilled to have uh, Zenia Dikuna with us. Uh, she is a sports journalist at Uh, the field which is a part of the scroll.in uh, we were just discussing just before we started that uh, what a what a dream job it is to be a sports journalist and you know cover sports and watch sports for a living so welcome zenia thank you so much for doing this thank you so much gautam thanks aniket for having me yes uh, you know when watching sports for a living sounds like the dream job it was my childhood dream so here i am you know what i actually dreamt of becoming a, a sports production guy or a sports journalist but you know life choices keep changing from time to time so uh, aniket what was 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 sports a part of your dream job when you were young i wish i knew it was an option actually <laughs> looking back in time <laughs> but i was so i was so ignorant that uh, yeah i just i just saw sports but uh, i just wanted to say it's such an honor having zenia over and yeah thank you for doing this not at all it's my pleasure uh, so we have a fairly very very busy sports week but what we like to do like we did the last time around also is that we'd like to cover uh delve deep into a couple of topics that uh have made the headlines in the world of sports uh the 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 thing that we are most excited about is uh, to talk mainly about india at the olympics that we are going to cover a lot uh and obviously the really big news coming out of uh uh Barcelona Lionel Messi and Paris is that uh Messi eventually now has ended up in Paris is actually training with them I saw uh, Messi in uh, PSG colors the other day kind of looked weird it'll take some time to get used to uh that picture but I will talk a little bit more about that uh, at the lag end of this podcast but uh, Aniket I know you have listed out a whole bunch of headlines so uh, take it away Yeah thank you Gautam so the football season's coming back La Liga has started playing uh the Premier League will start soon so there have been some changes to the uh, VAR rules where uh, people are now working on the controversial VAR system that was there last year and they have decided to add benefit of the doubt to strikers i think we'll only know more in time about how uh, these rules change but seems like they're still working on it and then there's also the let let me ask actually let me ask zinia about the var are you a fan of uh, var in football zinia or not i hate it you know it really depends on the situation uh, it seems like you know we've had football without var for so long so that seems to be the way ahead but also there are some real howlers which make a big difference i think if it can be regulated somehow which i think can be said for all things in sport yeah it would uh, it would be helpful only if it's regulated and not not used in its current form yeah i like i like the goal line technology because i know that that is perfect but uh, i don't know what what do you think uh, well i mean i think you got to work on it but like senior said uh, the howlers uh, they're kept at bay but i think they're also creating howlers because of the technology so that's the sad part but hopefully they converge and yeah. we get a more regulated system so with that being said so like you already mentioned uh, gautam Messi is now in the PSG stripes which is hard to see for me as a Barcelona fan 
But well, that's the cards we are dealt with today. So and Messi, uh, sorry, PSG has made some crazy free transfers. So they've got Lionel Messi, they've got Sergio Ramos, they've got Donnarumma, who's the recent winner of the Euro. This Genie Wijnaldum, and yeah, so they seem to be Pochettino, the coach, and the PSG management are seem to be on a crazy signing spree, and they're doing a brilliant job. They're doing the job well, I guess. Someone's doing a good job there. So that's that. Then also your team Gotham is Man United has signed Jadon Sancho and Rafael Varane. So I'm sure you'll have uh, something to say about those signings as well. And I'm, then, I'm secretly excited about that, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to flaunt it in front of everybody. Azinia, <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite uh, football club that you follow, or uh, do you, are you just an ambivalent football watcher? Uh, no, I am. I am a huge Barcelona fan. I don't know how long that's going to be in present oh, tense. No. Uh, but I mean, I started watching Barcelona for Ronaldinho, and uh, when he was number ten, and then you thought that there was going to be no new number ten when you had Messi, and then you thought, oh, Neymar is number ten. Except now the jersey has changed. Neymar is number ten. He is playing with Messi, but it's not in Spain. It's uh, also, I think, you know, having Messi is number thirty also now. He's number thirty, and with Neymar is number ten, which was the Brazilian's dream at one point. You know, I'll be the center. Yeah. Uh, what's really weird is La Liga's. You know, the captain of Barcelona and Real Madrid are playing in France this season. You know, it gets, it keeps getting weird. Imagine like Ramos and Messi in the same team. I, I don't know whether Ramos would be able to resist tackling Messi. You know, just every time he's near the goal. <laughs> But jokes uh, uh, apart, I don't know whether you know this is going to change a lot of dynamics both for League One and La Liga. If they win the Champions League, well, great. But we've seen that a star team need not actually win Champions League. So this is going to be a big season in in um, European football, if not in the league football. Absolutely, yeah. especially like the exodus from La Liga. They've lost like Ronaldo, Neymar, Lionel Messi. It's it's tough to see. But anyways, we'll see what happens. Exciting times ahead. So, as you said, uh, the best, the most star-studded team does not win. That takes us to Chelsea, who won the Champions League last year as a unit. So, Romeo Lukaku is actually back home at Chelsea from Inter Milan. So, with that being said, that's basically what we had for headlines. We can delve into the Olympics. So, I'll briefly state out what happened uh, at the Olympics, some of the things that happened. So, there was Yulit Kipchoge who is 36 of Kenya and he won his second consecutive Olympic marathon. And he's the same guy who actually, along with Nike, ran the sub two-hour marathon. So he's come in the Olympics and set it by storm again. He's he's widely considered the greatest right now, isn't he, Aniket Kipchoge? I wouldn't use the word greatest, but for sure he set a record that people have been eyeing for. So he's, he's, he's like the Roger Bannister to, you know, break the sub four-minute mile record. But again, that was... That was tailored for it. Uh, it was not an official marathon, so it does not qualify as a record. But anyways, I mean, he showed that it's humanly possible. So with that being said, there's also... Uh, I found very interesting. I'm sure you both got it too because it's all over. But the men's gold for the high jump was actually shared between Qatar and Italy. So did you did you guys get to see that? <laughs> uh, he can continue with the jump off. Can we have two gold? It's possible. It's, it depends if you decide if you go decide on the <laughs>
yes that was one of the you know the moments of olympics where you feel like i mean this is you know there's something beyond sport there are so many times during an olympic games where you see these human moments really surpass sport and the you know the second uh, he goes like can we have two goals it really it was really special even then and then you come to know the back story that these two are friends and they had career threatening injuries and they supported each other through it and and that just makes it all the more special you know it's it's been on a it's been a journey together for them yeah and also the sheer joy once they you know once they were like yeah we are going to win this gold just how they reacted immediately after it's kind of unbelievable they they couldn't contain themselves even the the, the italian guy in specific what's his name gianmarco tamberi he he was just he couldn't control himself because i know as you said zinia he came back from an injury he's seen a lot uh but yeah even the qatari guy mutaz asab barshim he had the whole uh, big sunglasses thing going which is i which is, i kind of found very interesting i don't know if it's a superstition or something but it was yeah it was really cool <laughs> definitely it was one of the nicer moments of the olympics even i i think in uh, pole vault also when mondo duplantis was going for the record uh, record vault after you know basically claiming gold because he's just the most dominant pole vaulter right now you could see his opponents really cheer him on to get to get the world record that was nice yeah. there, there are so many small moments like this where you realize you know these guys are competitors but also they just all of them just love sport you know there's a new world record there's a new great jump they love it yeah. absolutely and totally also, off- i think you're right also they they participate in all of these same competitions right uh, all of they're on the, they're going around in the circuit they know each other very well Uh, it's kind of a small sporting um, unit if you think about it. they're all individual players they come from different countries but they probably see see each other quite a lot in all of these world competitions so they do have that bond homie for sure close at home we had sindhu do uh, do that after her uh, after the medal ceremony yeah where taizu ying who, who defeated her in the semi final uh, ended up with silver and you know sindhu was comforting her and it's it's beautiful because sindhu is last olympic silver medalist so if there is one person who knows what taizuin felt like it is sindhu that was another lovely moment she shared it on instagram of course we couldn't really see it on tv but it's sport am i right yeah and i also i think that's also what happens when there's no you know money or any contention if you look at the ipl for example or if you look at the premier league and stuff i don't know if it's a direct comparison or not but uh you know when when you're playing for a country and there's not Uh, money and sponsorship and all of this at stake i think it's generally a good and uh, very cool environment to play in but i might be generalizing a little too much but that's what i think anyway aniket sorry go ahead i interrupted you again <laughs> no 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 you're good so there's also the uh, norwegian handball beach handball team that actually ran into some controversy so apparently there are rules that are being changed because of the outrage so the ihf has felt got a lot of pressure and now from t- from countries especially like germany sweden and denmark and france so let's see the more hope, more power to the women of that team who actually stood up and just to give context this is basically over uh, the norwegian beach handball team actually wearing shorts instead of uh, what was uh, officially the uniform was actually a bikini bottom so that got into a little bit of a controversy and rightly so because uh, my personal opinion was it was extremely sad Uh, how the authorities actually reacted to that by fining the team and i think there's definitely scope for uh, you know correction when it comes to uh, kits and uniforms because uh, you know it, it happened in gymnastics as well where the german team was wearing a full body suit instead of the leotard and they weren't uh, reprimanded of course but it said that you know there are these changes coming in 
and it really depends on now the organizers how to, how do they deal with it it's the choice of what of the player and that has to be respected you can't find them for it yeah and, and i don't know how the organizations get these so wrong sometimes even in this uh today's time of heightened awareness where you know it's 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 a different time it's not the 80s or the 70s anymore but still there are these administrations and organizations and sports authorities that are still stuck in such a primitive age but they, that they don't even get it almost you know it's it's just to think about it doesn't make sense that they're going that they were going to find them for not wearing bikinis instead of shorts it's 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 kind of mind boggling for sure yeah i mean i think it's it's time the world has moved on and they should like start taking the right call on at least on silly stupid stuff like this but then with that being said let's move to tennis so the grand slams coming up the australian uh, sorry what am i saying the us opens coming up and uh, we have i just said the news today that uh, a lot of these uh, five major stars which is novak djokovic rafael nadal roger federer serena williams and venus williams actually will not be attending any of the warm up events So uh, I know Zinia you follow tennis a lot so do you have any thoughts on that cuz I wanted to take this from here to Djokovic at the Olympics and stuff like that so please feel free to share your thoughts on this uh, it is a sign of uh, things to come of you know the passage of time and age we spent the best part of 2000 and 2010 watching these players and now suddenly they are all on the wrong side of 30 most of them Djokovic is 34 uh it will it makes sense to pick and choose tournaments and uh, you know somebody like a serena for example has uh, uh, lately been playing much less of warm up tournaments she still does really good at the grand slams when she is 100% fit yeah so with serena it obviously i think it just it's just a call to you know preserve energy venus again i would think it's just trying to play as you know to be able to do well at us open she can't be playing a couple of weeks before uh, rafa and fedra are definitely injured cuz these guys don't usually pull out unless their bodies are on the line and i think that is going to be the biggest uh, tennis story of uh, 2021 after djokovic is going to be how this was probably the end of the victory era and it's a fitting that djokovic reaches 19 and 20 beating uh, rafa trolangaros and you know he didn't really come across federer but the fact that he's won these two back to back and reaching 20 at a time when the other two are fading is very cinematic in its uh, in the storyline of men's tennis and uh, djokovic i believe will be there at us open it's a once in a lifetime opportunity all for grand slams he's primed for it and of course he would take some time after olympics and you know how well he regroups the guy saved to championship points to win a grand slam nobody regroups better than him <laughs> you you are you know you're so right about uh, djokovic i was actually zenia convinced that he was going to win the gold medal i thought there was no chance in hell that he was not going to win the gold medal i thought he was all uh, uh, on par to winning the career slam or the golden slam right so they called it golden, the golden slam. slam yeah so i thought he was definitely going to do this but it was such a shock when i think zverev beat him right That's was right. it zverev yes yeah so i thought he was i thought there was no way he was going to lose especially given you know he went to set down i was like okay he's he's he comes back it's not over until it's over as you said he's he regroups and comes back we've seen this through the years but i don't actually now now that you say it and now the more that i think about it I think at the end of the day eventually when all said and done Djokovic is probably going to end up with more grand slams than uh, Federer and Nadal to be honest with you they're all equal now but I think Djokovic has the most chance to win another uh, one or two grand slams Definitely uh you know you know it's just basic science in a way you know he's the youngest of them 
he's still world number one. He's going to have uh, he's going to have the best of the draws. He's going to have uh, that reputation factor around him because he is who he is. And Grand Slams are best of five, which gives him an advantage that yeah. really the younger people somehow are not able to crack that code to be able to you know to play sustained tennis over uh, three sets or four sets. And that was the difference at the Olympics because you know Zverev knows how to win in uh, in best of three. He's won four Masters now. He's always been one of the big upcoming guys. You you know he's seen as the future world number one. Purely of course tennis speaking, personally Zverev has different issues. But you know that he's one of the guys who can beat Djokovic. Uh, my biggest surprise was Djokovic not winning the bronze against Karen Augusta. Uh, you know, that sort of, uh, it was sort of into a meltdown territory, which just tells you the kind of uh, strain he's under to, you know, constantly try and be the best. Yeah. And I think, in a way, it worked out for him, Xenia, because I think, in a way, he, in his mind, he must have felt like you know, what's the point of winning a bronze? He already has, it is not like Federer when, um, uh, I think Federer had a bronze or something before. So, you know, Djokovic already has a gold in Rio, right? So no, I think no, he no. Was Djokovic okay. doesn't have an Olympic gold. He does gold. not? He just has an Olympic bronze. Oh, really? I yes. thought he had. No, no, no. He doesn't have a gold or a bronze, a silver. He has a bronze at uh, Beijing 2008. Federer has a silver, Nadal has a gold. And Federer has a doubles gold and Nadal also has a doubles gold. So, the Olympic trophy cabinet is all Nadal. He's got the two big uh, oh, gold medals. Wow. Okay. That was good to know. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I was under the impression that uh, he he won the gold in Rio last time. Yeah, that was Andy Murray. He lost in the first round to Del Potro. Okay. It was, uh, it was a very emotional match because uh, he was obviously coming in after having lost uh, Wimbledon and... You know, the first round against Del Potro in Brazil never going to be easy. Yeah. That was pretty shocking then. The legend killer, giant killer Del Potro. <laughs> uh, if only Del Potro was fit, tennis would be different. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I also think the same about Marat Safin, like in the late 2000s. But anyway, yeah. um, did you watch the Djokovic game as it was happening live? I, I, what did you make of it? So, I must confess, I didn't. Uh, there were a lot of India events happening. Uh and when he won the first set 6-1, I I mean, going by track record, Sasha Zverev and Djokovic, you know how the second one will end up. It's best of two, uh, sorry, best of three. So, you know, he, he's won just one game so far. But uh, from what I saw in the highlights, it's just simple as Zverev started making all his shots and uh, Djokovic does not make unforced errors, but somehow he just like, Kept leaking errors and you don't want to give Zverev the confidence because once he's confident, he also, his serve clicks. And when Zverev has no double calls and aces, you know you're in trouble. So that's pretty much what happened from what I gauged from the highlights and the stats. Yeah. And what did you make of uh, Osaka? Because I thought, I, I watched the, I unfortunately also couldn't watch it live, but I would definitely watch the highlights. She definitely looked out of sorts. and She looked, her body language was off in the second round when she lost. Uh, what do you make of her? Uh, because she was coming in not, without much of uh, game practice. You know, it's very different, I think, for her playing here than a Grand Slam. Uh, I think the Tokyo Heat would have made a difference. Of course, everybody had the same conditions. But not having played in so long and then, uh, you know, suddenly being, you know, on the on the ground there and also the heat, the pressure probably got to her. But Osaka has, uh, she has, she has phases, you know, she's sometimes super erratic, sometimes she's the most consistent player there is. It's a drawback of the style of tennis she plays. She plays a very hard, uh, 
hard hitting powerful game so when she strikes it looks beautiful but sometimes when you know she does not getting into her zone it can it can lead to a loss very quick there are very uh, there is very little room for you know this gritting out wins with someone like osaka like those you know you know you're like halep or kobert style wins where they will grind it out and yeah get a get a you know push for the third set get a result for her it's her game is a lot about you know striking big and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and of course she was she must have been under a different kind of pressure this time yeah and you know she's still very young we forget that she's going to have more olympics and a lot more grand slams that's for sure yeah so with this we can also transition to a topic i'm super excited about india at the olympics right so we i mean as all of india knows we have neeraj chopra who's set india blaze like literally by getting a gold in the track and field events yeah 87.58 cross karna hoga he will not no, do it gold medal aa gaya hai bharat ko track and field mein pehli baar neeraj chopra ka naam yaad kar lijiye itihas ban chuka hai tokyo 2020 mein i would say technically the first gold for india in uh, track and field events am i correct gautam and zenia no i think normal pritchard uh, yes. right in 1900 yeah so there is a lot of you know doubt over norman pritchard's nationality he uh, because of the whole colonial rule then we do not really know whether he was indian origin or he was uh, he definitely represented india because that's what the international olympic uh, committee's records say but there is a lot of uh, you know research that says otherwise that he was actually a british uh, national who lived in india because back then you know india was like this extension of england so uh, there is a lot of uh, gray area over there of course 1900 was a very different time there is no way we can cross check what happened but i would say this is the first athletics medal or independent india that's that's the better correct way to put it yeah and i think i should say uh, aniket was one of the first uh, uh, to call out neeraj chopra's name uh, before the olympics even started as a hopeful i had no clue i know he was doing his olympics research back then so aniket all shout outs to you man Yeah unfortunately I got his last name wrong so I'm I'm also guilty of that <laughs> but yeah so I apologize again but I said I think I said Sharma or something instead I I sincerely apologize for that but yeah Neeraj Chopra yeah I had followed him uh, I found about found out about him via social media and some of uh, his uh, previous uh, you know uh, throws that I'd seen because he was youngster and he set a world record i believe right in in, in the under uh, 18 category or something he set under a world 20. record under 20 under okay. 20 yeah yeah and I, that's where i actually first heard of him and i was like okay uh, so this guy seems super exciting and boy when i saw his second throw the i just want to spend some time talking about that so did you guys see his throw in which he actually won the yes yes i was on on the javelin throw that evening Yeah, I just thought that was like it was so cool. Like he didn't turn around; he just puts his hand up, and I think it's just being in complete sync and knowing that you've done your best. I think because at that point you're not competing. I think because when you put your hand up for a throw, you you I think it you know you've done as good as you can do probably. Yes, and also I think by the time the first throw really uh, set set things in order, when he had an eighty-seven, when nobody else could really get that. Uh, and he was throwing second so he himself said that the others were under pressure because you already have a benchmark to sort of try and cross again the heat in tokyo played a role weather was not doing really good and all of these by then you know that he was in the medal list and 
in your first throw is going to put you on the podium and everyone else is in the on the lower side of 80s and clearly not not at their best yeah by the second you know it must have felt so good that he before he could even check the mark he was sure that he's he's hit a good throw yeah i think the one thing that kind of stands out to me and i don't know if you felt this also zinia is that his whole style just the throwing style and how he runs up how he starts and stuff you typically see all these javelin throwers or uh, you know pole vaulters and all of that get a head start you also see you know they take some little time breathe and you know clap and stuff like that i did not find the same in neeraj chopra he's like he just uh, ties his belt or whatever he does with his thing and then he just goes i feel like don't you didn't you think that he has like a distinct uh, style of how he runs up and throws the javelin yes he's just he's just very focused in the moment even after that you know he was just putting his jacket just sitting very calmly he had uh, you know not a big show of emotion nothing and uh, that that plays a big role sometimes yeah i think he was also extremely confident after the qualification round which is an edge that can't be replicated you know he would have seen look he's the expert he would have seen how others are throwing and the conditions he probably made some mental calculations and he knew that he's in he's in line for a podium uh, in fact after that finally you know there was a press conference after his olympic medal and he said one of the things he was trying to do in his later throws and he realized he had the lead is to go for a personal best stand olympic record so he tried going for the 90 and uh, he that is why he, the, the second two throws were not so the third and fourth throws were not so great and he cancelled them because you know he was uh, sure that he's sure of his position so he imagine in an olympic final being so confident that you're going for your personal best and not just you know now you've already set the goal post higher yeah that is actually crazy that he actually you know decided to do that the sheer confidence i mean he clearly com- comes across as a very very confident guy i know i think his one of his friends wrote an article for espn uh, india i read uh, yesterday i believe uh, where he was talking about how just growing up how how much of a star he was uh, but also then he was also when he spoke with uh, Uh, the guy who wrote the article so you're saying when he spoke with neeraj chopra is also he was always talking about how he could have thrown better and how you know some technicality was kind of impeding him to throw even farther so he was just saying how you know as you said zinia how single minded and uh, focused he was on the craft definitely i you know you could you can feel that that he's uh, somebody who's so attuned to his craft you can you can understand his technicalities when he talks you know that you know this is somebody who's absolutely in love with what he does and uh, you know he's constantly trying to do better in fact uh, i i i've shared this anecdote before but i'd love to repeat it that in 2016 he missed qualification for rio by a few days his uh, throw at the under 20 world championships the world record came like 10 12 days after the qualification deadline which means he couldn't go to rio and at an event after the olympics he was invited and i had a chance to uh, interview him and one of the things he said i mean he was 18 then and you know people just say these things and he was like you know if i can work hard i can definitely get a medal in tokyo you know if i keep training like this and i keep you know i get the support like this and i'm fit i can definitely get it what i miss this thing so since you know since five years this has been an extremely confident athlete who knew his you know talent and he worked really hard and it's it's been rough on him you know the he missed 2019 due to a shoulder uh, due to an elbow injury yeah which means he missed the world championship in doha he's not really competed in the same heat because doha would probably have similar weather conditions and then uh, the olympics got postponed and there was no competition and he qualified just earlier in the year 
so there was it, he cut it very close in in a sense yeah and when lockdown he was stuck in patiala he was not able to you know go abroad and train as early as he would have liked you know of course when he was in tokyo none of these things really mattered but it gives you context as to what all he had to sort of get through physically and mentally to be able to throw with such confidence that you know he's he's now able to set up even bigger record yeah now that especially after you tell me all this uh, it just makes me believe that this man has like a very clear head and yeah wow it, it's i i wish more athletes like this you know take up sport in india cuz i'm pretty sure there are many out there it's not only him but i hope everyone gets a chance and you know does what he did he's definitely going to be the spark that starts it we saw what abhinav bindra's gold or even uh, rathor silver before that they did shooting yeah uh, is is such a big sport in india now of course they didn't really do well at the olympics but you know this is a sport with infrastructure and foundation and if that happens at athletics that could be massive for india yeah you know how i was thinking about uh, uh, you know when we were growing up we heard stories about uh, pt usha and ashwini nachapa just talk about track and field right and i know growing up in the 2000s we always used to hear about anju bobby george uh, in the long jump uh, but then you know unfortunately whatever reasons it could be lack of support infrastructure whatever it could be they were never able to you know grab a medal but now that uh, neera chopra did it maybe that's that's going to act as a spark for sure just and also just the way he did it he did it as if he belonged it was it was not like a underdog story or something it's he just went in there just three throws one in the qualification round two in the finals and just that was it <laughs> actually yes you know that the other the confidence and complete control he had we don't really see that from a lot of indians you know there's always a bit of hesitancy there is always a slow start and then you build towards it and here he was he was like he's already the world champion he was so confident three throws does it yes nicely put so you s- spoke about uh, sparking uh, something i also wanted to talk because i read your articles in your on aditi ashok your interview actually So I found that super interesting and I wanted to talk about that with you especially given golf I think this is an opinion there's no data backing this but compared to other sports golf is slightly uh, relatively uh, less watched and less indulged in sport it seems like an elite sport I think you've been boring I would so I I've played <laughs> golf a little bit here and there I would say it's extremely awesome to play it's a brilliant sport to play watching I'm not sure but Yeah I I was very curious to get your thoughts on how your interview was with and you can also let our uh, viewers listeners know where to find it because I thought it was a really nice interview Thank you Aniket that's really nice of you uh, it's on scroll.in yeah oh I we can share a link in the episode description I think Yes that would be nice For sure Oh uh, I think golf definitely is not much watched or followed in India and also uh, a couple of reasons A it's a pro sport Uh, like tennis but it's not as you know it's it's a professional sport they're not representing india there so that element is already taken away she may be an indian but she's not playing she's not playing for the national federation or something secondly it is an expensive sport and it is an inaccessible sport in the sense that you need certain equipment and certain areas to play it you can play football wherever you want but you need a golf course to play golf and you know uh, gali mein cricket is fine but it that sort of thing is always going to have a uh, golf courses are large uh, land areas and it's not going to be accessible to a lot of people but the very fact that people woke up early to watch her that people try to understand golf and you should see the google trend numbers they're crazy the upward spike in the number of searches for golf it just tells you the impact she has 
and at at uh, stroll we did a small explainer as to how golf for the olympics works uh, because i'm sure a lot of us don't really know what you know you would know birdie from a bogey but stuff uh, the under par and there are so many terms we don't know and we we did that and the kind of response we got was really great everybody was like thank you for breaking this down for us because we wanted to understand the sport because we want to support aditi and you know india is a sports crazy nation but india is usually it's usually connected to success and you know it may be a fourth place finish but the response and the interest that she you know got for golf is a metric of success for sure how did she come across to you when you were uh, interviewing her zenia extremely eloquent you know it's a mark of a lot of these sports persons i've spoken to even at a very young age they are very mature and she's playing her second olympics you know it's she played her first as an 18 year old in rio yeah she's obviously she's seen a lot she's seasoned uh, she was very eloquent she had her thoughts very straight on a lot of things like when i asked her how do you make golf accessible to indians and one of the things she said is first in school if you just give them a mat a couple of balls and the clubs and you get the feel of hitting it and you make them aware that these are the rules automatically children understand the sport instead of you know as adults trying to google like are what is under par score or whatever if you if children know the rules and then secondly she said that if golf courses made allowances for juniors to train instead of being members only these are small things but it could make a big difference if you had access without trying to pay membership fees of golf clubs that could change so i thought that she was really you know clear with her views and she's really thought out her role in this she's very sorted she knows where she is in fact when i asked her what uh, you know what what are your goals and she's very clear that she wants to improve her ranking uh, when i asked her a not so nice question about why her driving was not looking as good uh, a lot of commentators were talking about that she explained that how she lost a lot of strength because she recovered from covid as recently as may yeah so it was a very uh, nice experience to talk to somebody who's so confident and so clear with her responses I'm sure she has uh, professional ambitions uh, in the future so that we cool to see her on the they call it the WPGA tour hopefully so we'll see how that goes. She is she is, she's been on there for the last 5 years. She's played on the LET tour and the LPGA tour. Oh the LPGA tour sorry but it's not the WPGA. Right, right, yeah. It shows so you how ignorant I am with golf. <laughs> well that's the thing right we'll all learn now because of her. Yeah. We wouldn't have otherwise. So with that being said I've also wanted to touch upon all your thoughts actually both of you on India's shooting woes. So cuz at least before the Olympics started and especially after Abhinav Bindra got us the gold every Olympics that comes upon I'm I have my hopes on shooting and even archery actually for that matter. So just from uh, Sinja just by being in this uh, field and actually observing closely observing what's happening do you have thoughts on why this happens like generally i i do understand it's like a crazy uh, place to be in like olympics is not you know like an everyday thing there's a lot of pressure on these uh, folks who are actually going there they are representing their country and especially in this year where you have the pandemic and a, you know a lot of these athletes have been covid positive once upon a time training regimes have really been affected uh is there something deeper here or is it like you know eventually india is going to be one of those uh you know really good countries that produces great shooters so it's a bit of both i would say first unlike both in rio and tokyo shooting was a major miss 
you cannot uh, deny that you had a lot of expectations from both teams based on their track record of course these expectations were not you know unfounded they definitely had uh, done they had those scores they had the qualification uh, you can blame a lot of mental conditioning and nerves because that sort of thing happens at the olympics but uh, what what it says is that we need to have a really deep look at what we are doing uh, nrai the shooting federation has done done a lot of uh, foundation work for the shooters so there is there are, there are systems in place but there's somewhere still a gap you know things are still slipping through mental conditioning or you know peaking at the right time because shooting is such a mentally intensive a very individualized sport where you're really competing against yourself at the end of the day you're not against somebody else and there has to be some sort of a systemic change where we look at how to prepare them for uh, how to prepare our shooters and a lot of them are so young especially this time that you know they're probably going to be there in paris in in three years time so what has to be identified is why it was a collective failure that if you can figure out you know was it the numbers was it the you know something with the issue with the training with selection what happened there and then you can sort of build build on that and uh, one one thing i would uh, probably say that is with sharaf choudhury you could see that his qualification numbers were great yeah. throughout in the two events he took part in so maybe in in finals and he usually is always very good at finals but you know this time he just had a poor start and in shooting it's very difficult to recover with one after one bad series so if that was a that's a very small area all but that was the only one we could see uh, none of the shooting qualifications were telecast in india or anywhere so we really can't gauge what went wrong in qualification it's going to take it's all going to be guesses and assessment because none of us could have really seen what happened except the people who were there yeah for sure and one thing that really intrigues me is uh, something you mentioned and something even abhinav bindra spoke about is this mental conditioning because i remember reading uh, i think sometime back about how he spoke about he really spent a lot of time on the mental aspect of his game and how he changed his breathing and he had a coach basically just for you know a performance coach and stuff like that and i think his coach was uh, it was uh, he hired a coach himself and he spent a lot of time training so what you said uh, seems like you know very correct where this is a extremely mentally taxing uh, sport correct and in fact uh, it it really boils down to uh, peaking at the right time so with abhinav bendra once he qualified for the olympics he wasn't really scoring very high in other events he was just focusing on building this consistent uh, base where he's he was looking more at consistency and not like he wasn't doing really well in a lot of the world cups etc before that he was not even participating in a lot of events so maybe there is a game plan there you know that once you get your qualification set then you just work on getting yourself ready for the olympics and just focus on one thing of course that really works for bindra maybe for some athlete it works to be in competition all the time it's very thin line and so difficult for us to say from the outside yeah i was watching uh, heena sidhu the former Olymp- olympian shooter uh, uh, i was watching her interview or she was talking about it i know you spoke briefly about the selection process she was of the opinion that the contingent that was sent out uh, for shooting uh, was probably the best that they could send out i don't think and in, in in her opinion i think she said uh, there was no other better shooters that india could have sent out but you are right because i think because shooting is such a uh, such a small margin sport you know it's it's just a matter of inches or millimeters sometimes where 
that's all the difference that it takes to qualify for the next round or finish third over eighth or something so there are a lot of factors that come into play and you have to just play almost uh, uh, an errorless game like abhinav bindra did the, uh, in 2008 to pull something off but yeah definitely a letdown aniket yeah for sure and even archery actually i was heartbroken because uh i was a fan of tipika especially she was uh rank one she was rank one right she when is, she she is, into- yeah she is the world number one but in archery your uh, seedings are dependent on how you perform in the ranking round i see and india really paid the price there because uh everybody was like nine Deepika was ninth. I think the mixed team was ninth. And when you are ninth, and which means you're not in the top eight, which means your quarterfinal is already loaded against you. Your your oh, yes. draw, yeah, you know, your top eight is usually a good place to be. Uh, so you know, a little a difference in ranking would have been that she met met Ansan. Uh, she would have met the eventual champion a little later. Maybe if you meet somebody in the semi-finals, that gives you a better chance. Yeah. And that it really went down on the first day. Again, we couldn't see the qualification live. but uh, yeah again a small margin sport where well begun is so important and if that's gone it's gone yeah it's small things make such a huge difference in these uh, in these sports it's kind of amazing yeah that's very true and i was like seriously contemplating as to and this is something i think uh, abhinav bindra spoke about this i'm not sure but he did mention like how uh, you know an athlete will not come and just peak at the olympics it's just it's that's like a black swan event you know where somebody comes it's about being consistent and how you play over years and years and so it does seem like you know hopefully what i understand from here is next next in paris it's going to be a much stronger uh, shooting much stronger archery team so the marksmanship hopefully will be much better and improved yeah that is that is the hope yeah so with that being said uh, do you guys want to talk about anything else in particular uh, that you had your favorite moments from this year's uh, olympics i would actually like to ask uh, zinia about i think this kind of took uh, the country by storm a little bit i would like to talk about hockey uh, zinia i don't know if you watched any of the big indian uh, women's and the men's game live or not but how was the was it like a cricket viewing event in india that's the feeling i got just watching uh, the social media coverage of uh, both the men's and the women's hockey events Uh, I I would wouldn't know whether to compare it to cricket because you know it really becomes apples and oranges. But uh, hockey has always been a sentimental sport for Indians. You know, you've grown up being told that oh, India were number one in hockey. We have eight gold medals. We were the best, and you can't reconcile that to what the current team is right now. You know, it's it's just if you've always uh, always seen Indian hockey not do well in our uh, lifetime. so this was a big big deal to actually see india win a hockey medal but somehow for me what was even more special was the women's team beating australia in in the semi final because this is a team that barely made it to the quarters in the first place in in the uh, you know they lost their first three games and by big margins they had to win the next two but you know being last in the group stage meant you are playing australia form of champions just a pitter team overall and you know with with the reputation of being an unbeatable team and to beat them by one goal margin after scoring early and holding on to that lead with little bodies on the line that was special to watch uh, with the men's team there has always been a consistent team building you've seen them get good victories in the past you they were a genuine medal hope at least this time around because you know that they had a unit the women's team came as a complete surprise this is the first time they qualified for two straight olympics 
2016 was the first time they qualified for the Olympics on their own. So it's been a bigger surprise. And I think that fourth place finish means so much more than what we realize now. Because what, uh, so it's a bit like the Women's Cricket World Cup in 2017. You lost the final. But what it did is it sparked genuine interest in the sport and it got in a lot more investment. And if women's hockey also gets a similar kind of interest and investment, to be the start of things. Because I know that uh, they have a lot of support from Hockey India too. They are given, uh, they go on a lot of tour and this will mean they will play more, even more than what they do now. And the more they play, if this is what they do with how much the resources and play time they have had after a pandemic, imagine what happens to this team, which is still a very young team, when they get more time, more match time, more resources, more interest. It will be amazing. Well, that is for sure. One, yeah. One thing is uh, that there is a never say die attitude with uh, this women's team for sure. Uh, Sharda Ugra wrote a wonderful article. I think it, I thought it was a little sentimental, but I thought she could definitely afford to be uh, sentimental at that point. But uh, she said uh, she talked about how they there is this culture of just not giving up. Even we saw that in the bronze medal match when they went down to Great Britain fighting. I think it ended up 5-4 or something. They were two goals down and they hung in, hung in, came back, actually scored three straight. Actually, they went up 3-2 and then eventually ended up losing 5-4. But yeah, that is a very good point that you said. Imagine uh, if they actually have all the resources available to them and if it was not, you know, times of uh, COVID, how much better uh, that would be. This definitely augurs well for Paris. For sure. In fact, uh, uh, even Asian Games next year, I would think, you know, that that would be a great, uh, this is a great springboard to do really well then. And come and come in the games. In fact, you know, the Sharda of the article says a lot of them come from backgrounds where a woman playing sport is not generally welcome or appreciated. And the, the kind of challenges they've had to overcome are so different from other athletes, you know. And uh, there was a time when Savita Punya, goalkeeper, had to rely on her parents for funding and for, you know, daily expense money. Not too long ago, I would say about 2017 that happened. And which means it wasn't even that much of a professional sport for you to sort of play the pay the bills. Wow. So these are the small changes which if they happen, if they and you know, uh, back back home if uh, parents then allow their girls to play without worrying. These are the, these are the changes that happen. It's not always about the medals, it is about the mentality change that can happen with a fourth place finish. And that never say die attitude, I think, comes from a bit from their background because they know that this is it. This is their stage. For sure. And after you said that, it feels like, you know, apart from their battle, they're fighting a battle for the country in, a, in you know, in another sense where at this point, it's beyond only those 11 people on the, you know, in the park actually trying to score a goal. But the social obligations that they have to go through and the, the fight is more than just on the field, actually, which is unfortunate. I mean, that's true for so much, so many women's sport in India. It's all you're always fighting for something bigger than uh, than just that medal. Yeah, more power to all of them. I think uh, the one thing that I kind of wanted to touch upon. I know we spoke about it's just not about the 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 physical side of it when you play. Uh, I think a lot of uh, emphasis has now been laid on the mental side of things, where you see all of these uh, Olympians and just athletes and all the players in uh, like team sport in general coming out and speaking about mental health and how it's having a major effect. Uh, I know we saw the Simone Biles pull out of the event. 
uh, we saw uh, osaka pull out uh, out of the french open which which came with its own set of complications but the essential reason was she was she said she was not in a uh, 100% of a mental uh, 100% mental health stage i don't know how to put it weirdly but she was not 100% mentally fit is what she what came across in her statement when she pulled out of french open and uh, zinia i know uh, vinesh pogat wrote an article and how she was suffering from bouts of depression in the build up to the games uh, do you think it's like a generational thing that more athletes are now speaking up because we I, even you know let's think about it like 7 to 10 years ago nobody was speaking about this in the world of sport uh, yes it's definitely a generational thing because the younger athletes are are okay with saying that you know i'm not doing well uh, they're treating physical injury and mental in, uh, mental illness similarly which is such a novel concept for us right in any space you are in it is so difficult to ask for time off in any corporate se- even in corporate sector perhaps saying that oh you know i don't feel good today i don't have you know i'm not mentally prepared to do this can i take a break it's stressing that at work i don't know how many offices would be okay with it so i understand why these athletes find it all the more difficult but the, but you know the other aspect is for a when you are an athlete and you, when you are not feeling well you are jeopardizing your body a simone biles not feeling comfortable doing a walk is it can be extremely dangerous for her to do it at a time with osaka what she had said is she's willing to play but she's not willing to talk to the media because that put her under pressure so it just sort of manifests in different ways and the very fact that players like them talk will make it an easy conversation for most players with vinesh it's a bigger problem because she her response came after she was reprimanded by wfi and it seemed to be a lack of empathy in general to a player who suffered such a heartbreaking loss at the olympics we don't know what the internal workings are but from after hearing both sides of the story it feels like a conversation could have worked and uh, it also shows that we really look at medal or loss there is no in between there is no but she did her best to uh, bajrang punia in his post uh, post medal conference said this line that you know and uh, at, nobody suffers the loss more than the athlete i'm, I'm roughly translating they said the athlete suffers the most when they lose and i think that's something we watchers and uh, fans usually forget that as shattered as we are that athletes going through something worse for sure and i mean i don't know the like you said we don't know the internal workings or what happened but i feel the least we can do is have the back of the athlete that you know is carrying our aspirations onto the olympic uh, venue so yeah i mean i i my heart just cries out especially for people who uh, who feel like you know mental issues and other things uh, yeah i don't know i just feel very strongly about these things yeah they worked so hard for the last 5 years physically put in the effort and imagine your mind telling them you know your body is not not cooperating that's just rough yeah that's i mean to also to it also takes a lot of mental fortitude for the likes of simone biles to say look i'm not going to do this it's going to be i, I she is she is the goat she has a goat uh, emoji on the back of her uh, leotard so to, for her to say i'm not going to uh, participate in this because i don't feel 100% uh fit mentally is quite, you know it takes a lot of gumption to do it but and also you are right it, it it was wise of her to do it as well because who knows it's so easy to break a neck or you know break a back and that could be really really threatening too so yeah she made definitely made the right decision on that front so with that being said uh i think we can move to 
a topic that I've been wanting to talk about. Uh, I not because it's a great thing. Uh, and how I feel about it, but it's Messi going to Barca. Sorry, Messi leaving Barca and <laughs> going to PSG. <laughs> I can't accept him leaving Barcelona. But yeah, so yeah, what, what, how do you guys feel about this? Like, uh, any thoughts uh, on what's what? What's the future going to look like? I, well, I, I will. I will. I will ask uh, Zinia be- yeah. before you answer Zinia. I will, I will ask you a provocative question, and then you can answer what <laughs> sure. I just said. Do you think? Uh, do you think PSG is now the most hated club in the world if it wasn't already? <laughs> uh, you know. It's difficult to say because football fans think very territorially about their clubs and about this. But if you were to look at just individual players, they really have two of the best players in the world with Mbappe and Messi uh, forming the strike force. So yes, it's a lot of you know your when you pump in money, you automatically get some. Oh, what was our reaction to the Galacticos? Oh, you keep buying a team as opposed to what? So Real Madrid did it, and Real Madrid seemed to have their fair share of fans. Maybe newer fans coming in now who don't put the background will look at this strike force of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe and go like, "Oh, this is a team I'd like to support." I mean, you know that the number of City fans were made in the in the 2010s, which some of the older people can't seem to comprehend. So who knows, you know? Fandom just works very differently. 100% sure. We were actually just talking about the Galacticos yesterday in something. I think me and Aniket were talking about all of these super teams or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did not grow up as a Real Madrid fan or a Barcelona fan. But looking at the Galacticos kind of sucked for me because, you know, they had all of these big stars. But you are right. That might have forged, forged a lot of fans because going back to my f- football fandom, Manchester United was the only big team that they showed on uh, Star Sports uh, and ESPN when I was growing up in the late 90s, you know. And that that was how I caught on and they were the team to beat. Uh, so, yeah, you, you you are right, Zinia. Maybe it, it, you know, gets all of these younger people towards uh, following football more. Uh, I think, I know Aniket is, uh, has followed the club very well. I know there was a point when Messi was, you know, Messi said, I'm going to leave last year. And then things improved, it looked like. And then Messi said, "Oh, I think I'm going to stay." Or you know, the all signs indicate that he was going to stay. Going to stay. He even, in fact, said that in his uh, uh, goodbye press conference. Right? What changed, Aniket? Why? Why did he have to leave? So it's a complex problem. So there are multiple facets to this one thing. So I think the larger thing at play was Barca, Barcelona. At this point, is like a very poorly run club. So we have run ourselves down into major financial problems. I think there is a 1.2 billion dollar debt that we have and in spite of Lionel Messi saying he'll take a 50% pay cut we couldn't afford to keep him in the team and I'm pretty sure it's not going to end with Messi's departure cuz you know Bartimo who was the previous president has really put us in a spot where now we have players uh, like, you know, you have Memphis Depay and stuff, uh, players like that, like Kun Aguero, but we have not been able to register them for the coming La Liga games. And that's predominantly because we don't meet the La Liga's, uh, you know, cut on how much the wages to income ratio should be. So we are we have given players inflated salaries uh, and now... I think we are paying for it. And the problem was the salaries are so inflated that you can't get rid of, you know, kids and actually account for uh, the wages because it was Lionel Messi, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Busquets, 
these senior folks who were at their prime and they signed these big hefty contracts and not to forget Antoine Griezmann who is actually I think he's being paid four times of what Harry Kane's being paid so it's uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate situation for uh, Barcelona to be in and it's it's heart wrenching to see Lionel Messi leave in spite of him wanting to stay so yeah so i'll put it very simply psg started this when they paid 222 million for neymar and suddenly barca were a striker less but with a lot of money so they just decided to throw the money at the first striker and they ended up doing it for three different strikers simple math 222 and three strikers worth 100 million it doesn't add up and that is why we are here at a place where messi is also with neymar now for sure like 100% agree with that and to be honest it was uh, barcelona was a very poorly run club like uh, we had arthur melo who was a brilliant upcoming midfielder 23 years old and we traded him for pianic who was a 30 year old midfielder and apparently there was no money exchanged because the price was the same it was only uh, on a spreadsheet evaluation where each player was valued for 62 or 70 odd million uh, dollars uh, it's Yeah, it, it hurts to see the club you support to be in this situation, but here we are. So yeah, yeah. I was listening to uh, Sid Lo, who I really respect. Uh, he's a Spanish uh, La Liga uh, journalist. He was talking about how the salaries were adding up to one hundred and ten percent of what Barcelona actually makes every year. So they were actually spending much more than. Uh, Uh, what they could afford and then even with messi gone i think he was talking about how the salaries are now at 95% of what they make which is still not meeting the regulations of the la liga so yeah overall it's just a just a series of uh, bad financial decisions by all accounts it looks like but uh, i know zina you you have to leave soon but we'd like to thank you first well just just a quick thing on uh, uh, psg and barcelona to be specific what what is your uh, enduring memory of messi at barcelona <laughs> uh it would be that goal with uh, ronaldinho's assist i mean uh, aniket might be able to give me the exact dates but that little dance is that, that ronaldinho you're talking about is this his very first goal for barcelona yes yes i think it was you know where he and ronaldo ronaldinho teamed up and the more i see the video the more i realize that that is that was barcelona at its best you know you create you didn't create goals you sort of painted those goals and the day barcelona lost that is the day the decline began and it began with you know with the xavi and iniesta who had nobody to paint those goals for you and how long is messi going to you know you can't it's a team sport messi can't be painting alone and i think there was a like 16 17 year old messi so yeah it was, yeah it was very early uh, 2000 i remember yeah i remember uh, messi celebrating on ronaldinho's back when he was yes, when he scored that goal i think that was the goal that you are also talking about yes yeah. yes yes that's the one i can't remember the year probably the first goal yeah kind of crazy to think what we what uh, barcelona has now become we will see you know all these big clubs have a reputation of just by the sheer uh, reputation bouncing back and uh, who knows they will find somebody else in uh, la masia aniket we have to there's no option so i think we've also covered everything that we wanted to gotham do you do you want to add anything in particular uh, before senior actually leaves uh, zinia th- as uh, we conclude every episode we 
uh, ask for or we suggest some recommendations that would enrich the lives of our listeners. So if you have any sports-based recommendations, that would be great. Well, first, let me just say, please go and uh, follow Xenia on Scroll and The Field. Follow her on Twitter. She's a she's a great uh, Twitter thread, actually. And obviously, if you've listened to her now, you know how knowledgeable she is uh, in sports, not just, you know, one sport, it's across all sports. So go ahead, Xenia. What are your recommendations? Uh, one recommendation is what you already mentioned, the Sharda Ugra piece in the Indian women's hockey team. Speaking of Messi, Sid Lowe's piece in The Guardian, a tribute to Messi at La Liga, is amazing. I would definitely recommend reading that because it tells you what all Messi stood for and uh, why his uh, departure it feels like like the end of an era and if i can just add like you know because i do work for the scroll uh, we've done a piece on the results of everybody in the indian contingent 120 uh, plus contingent and where each of them ended up and that would be a ready reckoner a quick look at everything that happened with india at the olympics so I'd recommend that on a personal note. We'll definitely, definitely link those to the show notes here for sure. And also, I must say, you stole both of my recommendations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Literally, my two recommendations were Sidlow's piece on uh, The Guardian. It's called The Little Devil Who Became a Deity. Messi exit ex- leaves a void like no other. And then the other one, just to reiterate what Xenia said, Betia to badasses, how the hockey team became the team we love and the women they wanted to be by Sharda Ogro on ESPN. So those are my two recommendations too. Little repetitive, but those are really, really good pieces. Definitely check it out. Yeah, so keeping uh, the topic you spoke about golf and Aditi Ashok uh, in mind, I wanted to recommend actually a movie. It's called The Short Game. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's about the world championships in golf for seven-year-old kids. So it's actually a fascinating uh, and an awesome watch. So that's one. The other recommendation I have is uh, it's by the official Olympic channel. Uh, it's called The Academy. It takes folks into Pulela Gopichan's Academy and talks. It's, I think, uh, seven to eight. It has seven to eight episodes, which is really cool to see how the uh, badminton story in India actually started with uh, Pulela Gopichan. So that's my second recommendation. And the third one, which I couldn't resist, was based on the transfers market we have now. It's called Wisdom of the Crowd. It's by New York Times. How transfer fees for athletes actually uh, decided. And it's basically, uh, it's like a bidding uh, market by spectators and how these prices and valuations are actually taken seriously by clubs where they actually put them on their payrolls and stuff like that. So these are three fascinating things that I wanted to share with the listeners. Yeah, also uh, read up Xenia's interview with Z- Neera Chopra and also uh, Aditi, v- which she did. So definitely check that out. We'll definitely link those to the show notes. Yeah, that'll be great. Thank you so much. Xenia, can't thank you enough for joining us. We just started uh, this podcast. So it's great that we have some... It's great that we are getting some kind of validation with with people like you joining our podcast, for sure. Not at all. It was so much fun to be able to, you know, just talk about sport with with people who are as invested in it. And I hope the listeners also enjoy a conversation between just sports nuts. For sure. And again, I'm saying reiterating myself. Thank you again for being here. And we look forward to seeing a lot of your work and hopefully having you again back sometime. Thank you so much. That be appreciated. Thank you so much. I think we should leave the listeners with uh, Neera Chopra's winning moment. So I will leave it to producer Amin, who produced this podcast, to play that audio out as we leave. Thank you so much for joining us. Aniket, thank you. Thank you, Gautam. Thank you, Aniket. And that'll be the perfect, perfect way to end this episode. Love, gold medalist, Bharat ki India, India. Ki Shan. Shan.
नीरज चोपड़ा इनका नाम पहला गोल्ड मेडल भारत के नाम एथलेटिक्स में ओलंपिक गेम्स के अंदर और वो आया है टोक्यो 2020 में 87.58 मीटर्स का इनका वो लाजवाब थ्रो भारत को गोल्ड मेडल दिलाता हुआ थैंक्स अगेन Have a good day guys definitely please do subscribe go to newsonly.com hit that subscribe button i think the minimum you can pay is 300 per month so that's really not much yeah uh, so please go ahead and please support independent media uh, we've just seen uh, what happened with pegasus and everything that comes with it and just you know sheds more light on how important it is for media to be independent Uh, so please pay to keep news free all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel